Let's find common ground. Welcome to the podcast. I'm your host, Florian Glatz, and today I'm joined by my guest, Katharina Klimkeit, a founder, entrepreneur in the digital and now Web3 space, and we're going to explore what that means and where her journey is taking her. Welcome to Finding Common Ground, your gateway to the digital revolution in community building, cooperative governance, and collective ownership. Join us as we explore the future of humankind in the 21st century with thought-provoking conversations featuring innovators, pioneers, and visionaries from around the globe. Let's embark on this journey together, bridging divides and reimagining our collective future. Get ready to be inspired, informed, and ignited. Let's find common ground. Katarina, welcome to the podcast. Please introduce yourself to our guests. Thank you, Florian. Happy to be here. Um, yeah, my name is Katarina. I am from Hamburg, Germany, and I am the co-founder of a fact-checking platform called Facts for Friends. Um, I have a background in business entrepreneurship. I studied innovation management uh, in Stockholm. I have a lot of experience in consulting firms, which I happily dropped <laughs> because uh Turns out the startup world is is more for me, and yeah, I've have a lot of experience also in um, founding businesses in the consumer fields. But now I am venturing into the Bitcoin industry, which I'm sure we can talk about a little bit more in a bit. Thank you so much, and there is a lot to talk about. Um, before we dive into it, um, I tend to ask my guests um, on uh, just a few questions about this topic of web3 because that's obviously something that is also dear to my heart and uh with a common ground platform we're trying to build uh some sort of tooling that allows people to get more familiar with it and and sort of build up uh some sort of social presence in web3 so i'd love to get your feeling on um where do we stand in this next evolution of the internet and i think in your case maybe the question is even warranted um, is Web3 even something that we want? Is Web3 the right path to take in order to conquer this sort of better utopian form of the internet that we're all sort of striving for? So um, what, what is your feeling on Web3? Where, where are we? Um, I think it's a very exciting time. I mean, the amount of projects and, and startups and tokens that are just shooting out of the ground is really has been insane to to see and watch and also you know some disappearing which is a natural course for an industry that is trying to find its place so um i am very confident and uh, very positive about web3 although i will say um it i don't think it has found all of its use cases yet so i do think that we're still in a phase of exploration of really trying to figure out where does it make sense to implement you know decentralized technologies where does it make sense to work with blockchain technology and where maybe it doesn't so um because not everything needs to be tokenized and not everything you know needs to be um a web3 startup or project so I think we're in a in a phase where we're sort of maturing a little bit, but we're still figuring out what makes sense, what's actually some use cases that really 
benefit, you know, the projects and the users respectively. And um, so, yeah, I, I mean, I am very fond of blockchain. I am very, you know, positive on decentralization. Um, I hold it very near and dear to my heart. So I hope uh, to see it just it maturing. Um, I hope to see more use cases where, you know, we even reach more mass adoption because what I see is it is a bubble. Like, uh, I've been around for quite a while in this industry and it seems like, oh my God, it's growing. You know, now the bigger brands are, are joining, uh, they're having Web3 NFT projects, whatever, but um, it still is a bubble. And sometimes you, I just have to take a step back and realize, okay, we're really not, uh, you know, on the curve of mass adoption just yet. So I think it'll be interesting uh, which projects and which approaches will take us there. And I don't think we we found the ones that will just yeah we're just in that exploration phase I think that's a that's a very good and diplomatic answer that you're giving and um, <laughs> what I've encountered in terms of criticism of this industry um, over and over is that um, critics are saying well you're always saying that it's still early that it's a very sort of young technology but. You guys have been at this for over a decade now and you still don't know what the use cases of it are. Is it possible that there are simply no use cases and you should just, you know, go looking for a real job? Um, do you think that it, that it just takes too long or do you think this is to be expected? Um, how, how is your feeling on this? Why Why are we still in this exploration phase of use cases why haven't we had a breakthrough like the ai people now have it with uh these uh, gpt uh, generative uh ais and you know so they they seem to have found their use case why why don't we find it what what's the deeper issue here that's a really good question so i will say as a disclaimer um <laughs> i'm not that active in the whole Web3 and NFT um, industry, but more leaning towards Bitcoin. And I don't mean crypto, I mean Bitcoin. I think it's important for me to, to point that out, to differentiate. And looking at Bitcoin, I mean, it's a monetary system that's still very young. So it's, what is it, 12 or 14 years old. So in terms of, you know, if you look at the story of money, that's a very... A uh, short amount of time for already, you know, quite some adoption. Um, but with with all the other Web three and NFTs, I I really don't know. I think I mean it's unfair to say that there hasn't been successful projects. Although, um, which company was it that just was it Facebook or something uh, that canceled its own Metaverse project <laughs> or something? Um, so. I think there's a lot of there's a lot of clout, there's a lot of um virality, there's a lot of hype around certain things that maybe aren't hype worthy, um, which were created, you know, through communities, through maybe some Twitter, you know, anonymous Twitter accounts that really have huge reach. Uh, which I feel like with this industry it's two steps ahead and then one step backwards because Man, crypto's been struggling with with 
um, FTX with, you know, now Binance is being sued. There's just been attacks left and right. And there's been, you know, fraudulent people that are not really helping the industry at all. So I think um, just because there was an opportunity for so many people to really make a lot of money in a short amount of time, it also attracted um, a lot of fraudsters and, you know, just some dumping, um, some, some schemes that, yeah, weren't really helping. So I think that took a lot of attention and a lot of also building time away from the actual use cases. I don't think it's a good excuse though. <laughs> so, um, maybe, um, yeah, like I said before, I don't think everything needs to be tokenized. I don't think everything needs to be a web three startup or project. So it's really about finding where does it actually add benefits to the users, um, or does it actually make sense to implement blockchain technology? And um, so I, th I think we have to kind of take a step back and focus on some of the fundamentals and then hopefully implementing them. And then sometimes there's, you know, projects or use cases where it's not it's not helping to say, oh, we're we're a Web3 startup, but you actually just make use of the technology. So it's, um, you know, in the background. So. I don't know. I, I don't have a good answer. I feel like we're still, you know, trying to dodge everything that's come at this industry in the shortest amount of time, uh, while at the same time, you know, building and now in, in crypto, we're in a bear market or have been for, for a while. Maybe we're out of it now. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> we'll see. But bear markets are for building. So I think that's good when, you know, some of the hype settles down and you can kind of focus and look at some of the fundamentals again and start really building technology that's really going to help a lot of people and, and projects. So maybe we need more bear markets. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. Um, you just made a remark that I find uh, really interesting and probably not so familiar to many people because it's been mixed up for years now. But you said very clearly you're interested in Bitcoin, not in crypto. What is the difference between Bitcoin and crypto from your point of view? Well, so isn't there like a, a meme or, or a saying that if your coin has a CEO, it's not decentralized? Um, so, I mean, the difference with, with Bitcoin, Bitcoin is like the, I think it's like the older, uglier, uncool brother. And there's a lot of like flashy Doge coins and Shiba Inu coins, you know, that just were able to create a lot of hype. But the true value in Bitcoin is its decentralization. So, you know, there's no intermediary. So what it is, it's like a it allows for peer-to-peer -peer transactions. So whenever I would do a remittance, you know, there's like a bank in between and like I get asked by my bank so often if, you know, I'm trying to make a make a wire transfer, um, why or where it's going or where it's coming from, where it's just like, okay, but this should be my money. So um Bitcoin really allows for decent true decentralization. So so there's nobody um that's gonna ask you questions. You can send any amount um to any other address around the world, so it's borderless. And there's a limited supply, which is also very different to some shit coins, which I'm, I'm going to call, but also to fiat. So to, you know, the dollar or euro. And um, that's but that's like a very, I think, Western approach to it as well, because what Bitcoin is also allowing is for 
unbanked people to have access to transfer value across time and space. So um, I think I just saw a stat the other day that about 1.7 billion adults across the world are unbanked, which is just like an insane number. So they don't have access to bank accounts. They can't open a bank account, which is just like, you know, me living in Germany. It's just unbelievable to to even think about. But um, so so Bitcoin is a, a tool that's actually also just um, democratizing, you know, access to to funds and value. And well, yeah, so the difference to other coins, there's limited supply. Like I said, you know, there's been so many ICOs. So like coins that are being initi- initiated or put on the market are tokens that um, don't really have a cap. So, you know, they're or a certain percentage, you know, lies with a VC firm at launch and then they pump it and dump it. So that's where these pump and dump schemes come from. So um, Bitcoin being so decentralized uh, is really the 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 truest and and best form of money that i could think of so i think it's important you know like i said with all the ftx scams and everything and coins going to literally zero because i think there's now over twenty thousand coins or something it's an insane like anyone can launch launch a coin nowadays so um bitcoin with its transparency and its proof of work system and peer-to-peer network is really honestly for me where it's at to actually do you already know common ground common ground is a new kind of social network that is owned by its users and that brings the benefits of web3 to communities be part of it now you find the link in the description um now there are a lot of critics also of bitcoin within the crypto and web3 space and um they often say well it's true bitcoin had this amazing genesis story um it doesn't have a ceo um the founder satoshi nakamoto just disappeared really early on and let the project develop on its own which are all positives in a sense but then it also left a void for others to fill and um nowadays it seems that there are certain groups that have a bigger influence on bitcoin's roadmap than others, um, just recently read uh, by someone that sort of this Bitcoin core developer group, um, which sort of is determining the future of the Bitcoin protocol much more than anyone else. Um, do you think Bitcoin, just by virtue of having no CEO, has the better governance system to ensure, you know, its its future development, or does a project like Ethereum, which I think is also hard to call a shitcoin, uh, like others maybe, like a Shiba Inu coin, do, do you think maybe they have maybe just more more di- dynamism in in the and and more structure in 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 how the protocol is being governed? Are you are you sometimes you know envious of what the what the Ethereum people have established, or do you think? No, actually, it's it's a good thing that Bitcoin doesn't have this um, sort of more pronounced, uh, yeah, it's governance structure. Yeah, um, I mean, I would say it's a two-edged sword. So I think there's benefits to either setup. So, you know, uh, with Ethereum or, or whatever, it, it feels like 
Bitcoin is always um, a little bit slower uh, just because of its uh, governance and just because, you know, you need 51% or more of the network to agree whenever there is a change um, uh, on the roadmap or, you know, you saw in block size wars. So if if people try to change something, um, you know, you need uh, the majority of the network to, to agree, which is becoming increasingly harder the more decentralized it is uh, becoming. And so... I think it helps just in maintaining its true value and, you know, its true use case for Bitcoin specifically. But I could see for other coins or projects like Ethereum that, um, you know, in order to be able to move maybe a little bit quicker, it's good to have some sort of centralized governance. Um, I think, again, it's it's two different use cases with Ethereum. You can, you know, you build, you put NFTs on it. The layer twos look very different. And uh, well, with Bitcoin now, there's been ordinals. So that's been a huge discussion. (laughs) Um, But that's not to say that sometimes I think Bitcoiners are also standing in the way of um, Bitcoin adoption and Bitcoin progression. Because there's these, um, you know, we call them Bitcoin maxis or Bitcoin maximalists um, that, you know, just are like Bitcoin is the only coin and they don't understand anyone that would invest in other projects or in other coins. And um, they're really intense (laughs) sometimes. Um, they, They put bold statements like, you know, any sort of tax is theft and, you know, are very much against the government. So I think those kind of people are maybe sometimes roadblocks in, you know, increasing adoption and Bitcoin awareness. It's not really helping the use case. But um, then again, Bitcoin is about ultimate freedom and ultimate accountability and responsibility for everyone participating for each individual person. So um I think in its nature, it's it's normal that how Bitcoin is built and set up, it's just going to move slower. But then again, for its specific use case, I don't think it's really that much of a problem. Whereas I would see, you know, with other Web3 projects, I can see why it's maybe good to have some sort of centralized governance. Um, although there's, you know, DAOs, um, which you're uh, very, very much involved with coming um, and, and growing. Although I do think from from what I'm seeing is that all, even DAOs need some sort of centralized governance to a, a certain degree, at least, in order to just move things forward. So, yeah, I think it's the way it is. Bitcoin is more decentralized and um, thus a lot slower. Um, but then again, for its specific use case, I don't really think that's an issue. To finish the chapter on Bitcoin, I would ask you on this interesting um, situation that recently happened and everybody who's on Twitter in the in the Bitcoin or Web3 bubble probably saw it, um, that a pretty famous crypto or Bitcoin believer and influencer called uh, Balaji um, made a pretty bold bet that uh, in the next 90 days, uh, the US dollar is going to hyperinflate and uh, Bitcoin is going to become the new world reserve currency. Um, This was all triggered by this banking crisis that was sort of unfolding at the time in the United States with the Federal Reserve stepping in and guaranteeing some sort of um, 
depositor funds and so on. So it was pretty chaotic. Um, I feel it has calmed down since, but Balaji has made, I think, a $2 million bet, like with two different people, about $1 million of this event occurring. Sort of the, the US dollar really going to zero and Bitcoin going to, I think, $1 million per coin or something like this. First of all, do you believe that this is going to happen? Do you think it was a good idea for Balaji to do this? Did it send the right signal um, or did it just, you know, maybe portray Bitcoin as, as, as lunatics to the wider public? What's your, what's your feeling on this one? Um, yeah, uh, it's interesting to, <laughs> to see those kind of things unfold. Um, so, well, personally, I am a believer that, yes, Bitcoin does have the potential, this is not financial advice, uh, to um, reach a million um, dollars per Bitcoin eventually. Although that being said, at that point, the million dollars will probably not be... Uh, what a million dollars is right now <laughs> as a million dollars right now is not what it was um, a couple of years ago. So um, I think, you, you know, whether it's going to happen in these 90 days, I think we're a couple of days in already. It's probably very unlikely, <laughs> um, but it's, I mean, I'm not a financial expert, but what I, from what I'm seeing is that we did pile up an unsustainable amount of debt and that the only way forward is to inflate out of this debt, you know, by debasing the currency. So I think that's what we're seeing with uh, the banking crisis and, and with the dollars. And, you know, even Lagarde um, from the Central European Bank said herself that they're trying to close the escape routes. So I think these kind of, you know, bets or, or whatever it is... Um, maybe do help to just shine a light on the current financial system and the fiat system and actually makes people maybe put in a bit more research or effort to understand, you know, why there's such smart people in this industry that are willing to make such, you know, bets, which maybe this one, you know, was a bit over the top. But I think the message is there that, you know, have a look at what's happening in the financial industry. Have a look at what is happening with your money. Can you buy as much as you were able to buy two, three, four or five years ago? You know, is inflation maybe, and now I sound like a Bitcoin maxi, but is inflation maybe, you know, a different sort of theft because just with the same amount of money, you're not able to purchase um, as much anymore. So it's really about debasing, you know, the the fiat currencies. and so. Maybe some people look at it and they're just like, oh, the Bitcoiners, you know, they're crazy. But maybe for some people, it's actually encouraging to look at what would move people to actually go into bets like that and make bold statements, you know, that seem quite absurd, at least for the time being. But then again, we live in a crazy world, so <laughs> um, we'll see in 90 days or or even less. Um, but uh just in in a longer time frame, I do think that Bitcoin does have the potential to actually become a the reserve currency just because it's capped because of the limited supply. It's unlike anything else. Even gold has, you know, an inflation rate, which is minor, but it's there. <laughs> yeah. um, you have proven to be really, I think, um, pretty, pretty bold in the bets that you take and uh, in the end turn out to be quite 
prescient in in sort of how you look at the future. Um, I'm thinking of um, your fact checking uh, website that you started years ago, and um, I just recently uh, watched some German uh, some German talk shows, and they were all concerned about new AI capabilities and the effect it has on the trustworthiness of information we find online. And, um, you know, looking at this, um, I do want to believe what you're saying in terms of uh, where Bitcoin might be headed. So you seem to have some deeper connection to um, or some ability to actually project into the future and sort of see what is actually the important stuff. now I want to dive a little bit into um, this this fact checking um, sort of problem that you've recognized really early as a key problem for the information society that we're living in. Um, can you tell us a little bit of um, your journey that brought you there and what exactly you've been building in this area? Yeah, I would love to. So. I started Facts for Friends, uh, it's now three years ago, so COVID has been around exactly three years because that's uh, when I initially launched the project was in March of 2020, just when, you know, um, we had the first lockdown and I didn't really know what to do with myself and I'm a type of person, you know, that really wants to be productive as much as I can possibly be. So um, I was working in the home office and um, yeah, just saw so many people being so unsure of what to believe. There's news coming out, you know, um, every second uh, about updates. And then my dad got like, he was like on a WhatsApp group with like a bunch of people he didn't really know. And they were just, you know, sending these false claims around, which you could tell with just a very little research that they're false, but still he was, you know, a little bit unsure of what to make of it. It's just like, if you can hold your breath for 10 seconds, you're not infected with COVID or something. And, you know, this was an early day. So um, I kind of just wanted to, you know, tackle the issue of people getting to reliable information in a really short amount of time, because in this attention economy, you know, any article that's like longer than two paragraphs is too long already for 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 a lot of people especially for younger people you know that um would or should read journalistic um contents and and outputs but you know the attention span is just it's just decreasing from here so you know with with the rise of tiktok and instagram and everything and everything's short video and um so what what we came up with is kind of like a a platform where fact checks from different sources across the world um were represented and presented in like fact snacks so like in very short snippets of information so it's like bite size um so people don't have to read the long articles anymore and yeah, that worked really well for 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 a long long amount of time um, and attracted a lot of interest because I think just fact checking in itself is just a very boring. Um, it's just it's just very dry. So 
uh, I think you really hit the nail on the head uh, in terms of uh, the attention span problem. I think people have gotten used to just scrolling through headlines and they do this increasingly not on reputable news sites anymore. Although I think we can also debate what's actually a reputable news site in, <laughs> in 2023. Um, but they do this on social media where there is no curator except for an algorithm and the algorithm typically um, optimizes for engagement and clicks, which often are not, uh, you know, well-written uh, and sort of reputable sources behind it, but more like, you know, whatever works. So um, that makes a lot of sense to me. Did you have any sort of crowdsourcing mechanism behind this? How did you find these, um, you know, bite-sized, trustworthy um news sources how did you solve this fundamental problem of which information can i trust did you have an editorial team doing this um what was your approach to to solving that yeah we we tried everything basically so we started off um because facts for friends was um originally built within a hackathon and then i was just like oh no we can't just drop this idea um you know because because we the need for it was there and it would have been a shame to just keep it like a, as a weekend project which it could have easily been but so i took matters into my own hands and we we had a lot of volunteers you know there's everyone was in lockdown everyone wanted to help as much as they could so our our approach was because we had to make sure like what is like a rule that's understandable for everyone to kind of Im increase um, trustworthiness and legitimacy? Uh, which sources do we work with? Like, because we didn't do the fact checking ourselves because that's like, that takes a lot of uh, effort and time and is really just like a journalistic skill. Um, so we used already existing fact checks, but then the question was, okay, which sources do we do we use? Which do we not use? And with you know what kind of justifications? And we ended up just working with sources from the International Fact Checking Network from by the Poynter Institute in the U.S. So basically, we had you know uh, a standard that we could hold ourselves accountable to, and that users could you know transparently look at and see. Okay, because they are those sources, they're being tested once a year. So it's, you know, they have to work for being part of the IFCN um, uh, once a year, I think, or once every other year. Um, so we worked with already existing fact checks, but yeah, and we, we saw ourselves as a bridge between existing fact checking content and articles and social media and, you know, especially younger generations because the content was out there. It's just, it wasn't reaching anyone. And that's really where we saw our role. So we didn't do the fact checking ourselves. We worked with these sources and then produced, reproduced um, the articles into fact snacks. We used some tools to extract the most important parts, but then always have, you know, a person looking over it at the end of the day, because that's just the journalistic standard. And um, even like one, two or three years ago, AI wasn't where it is now. So I think now, um, because now I'm slowly moving, moving out of that project and handing it to my co-founder, who's, who's a journalist. Uh, I think she's using a lot of AI tools already to kind of summarize and then, you know, bring that to social media. And, um, yeah, we worked a lot 
with uh, actually Instagram, but also TikTok, because what we ended up doing is taking these articles and making short vertical videos out of them, which is, I think, really, really the um, the deciding point of we were able to reach so many people within such a short amount of time um, on, on just German speaking um, uh, areas just by by having videos and TikTok and you know fact the fact checking articles would have never reached those those people and not the the sizes of the audience uh, in any way so i think that's really where where our value add lied in or lies in you know just bringing the content that is out there to the people to the audiences to just people that don't consume that don't even know you know which fact checking sites to to look up which i didn't know at the time either by the way so <laughs> yeah that makes a lot of sense and um i think being this bridge between you know traditional journalists who are writing super long articles which might have a lot of information value but then the younger generation that prefers video content short form content on their typical social networks uh, is really uh, an important gap to fill. So um, thank you on behalf of, I guess, the rest of the German-speaking world for making this job. Um, and now, of course, I'm curious to, since you're a Web3 uh, enthusiast and, and uh, you know, knowledgeable in this area, I'd love, of course, to explore with you what a potential bridge could look like between these two worlds. Um, um, I know from conversations in the Web3 space um, that for years people have been considering, well, how do we actually solve the trustworthiness of news, maybe with this new technology, in particular, this idea of digital identities, this idea of our cryptographic signatures. And um, I see it reemerge now in recent weeks because of uh, generative AI. Uh, models that are able to produce very, you know, believable images and texts and in the future probably also videos. Um, famously, the um, Berlin uh, mayor, Franziska Giffey, had a video call with a fake Vitali Klitschko, I think, um, which was deep fake, a real-time deep fake, deep faking the video and the voice of Klitschko, and she had no idea and so in a sense it's already there this is not some future stuff um if you had unlimited resources and um you know would still would be interested in sort of moving this fact checking ecosystem onto a new uh onto a new level um how would you approach this do you even think this is feasible or is this one of these instances where you would say well not everything has to be tokenized not everything has to be put you know in this blockchain context do you see bridges there do you do you find it worthy of exploring or or do you feel this is not really the the application where this technology will will be useful for society well yeah i i did think about this quite a bit um well the thing is <laughs> So I, and the reason why I built Facts for Friends in the first place is I have a huge issue personally with censorship. So um, I don't like it when, you know, things are taking off of platforms because, you know, um, an intuitive answer to that would be, yeah, we need stronger policies in place. We need to take the platforms accountable, hold them accountable. I mean, now that Elon Musk bought Twitter or 
I think now it's the X Corp. It's not even called Twitter anymore. <laughs> so he's got plans with it. Um, you know, they're, they're, they've reduced their fact checking efforts and services. So I'm, I've never been a fan of censorship in that way. So I always looked at it from, from other perspectives and, that just naturally leads me to thinking just education and increase of media literacy will be very important. It's going to be very hard. I've seen videos where apparently like Obama says things or, you know, on, on video and or, or Trump or just anyone can be a victim, honestly, uh, from any sort of group. So it doesn't always because, you know, there's a tendency of, yeah, fake news always originates from right wing um, um, people. It's it's. It's from both sides. It's not a one-way street. So um, I think it'll be, we'll just have to be a lot more cautious in what we consume because it's just going to, AI is just going to get better and better. And, you know, there's images created out of nowhere, out of just like text prompts. There will be videos created. Um, and maybe there's a way of, because what Web3 or blockchain is good at, you know, is verification so maybe there will be systems in place to implement verification you know processes or tools into platforms or something um i don't have the one solution you know fun, one fits all solution for it i think it's going to be ongoing i think just creating the awareness you know don't don't believe everything you read um the awareness ai is going to get better and better Maybe there, you're you're more um, into you know policies and everything. Maybe there will be policies, although it's also a fine line to walk in. You know, you want to push innovation. You want to push, for example, the EU as an innovative location. On the other hand, you know, you have AI that can actually become really harmful in a very short amount of time. And so, I don't know. I don't like. I think Italy just banned Chat GPT. That's not the way to go. Probably. I mean, there's VPNs. You can. <laughs> You can find your way around it. But um, I think maybe just, you know, using blockchain technology to see where maybe uh, content originates from, but, or maybe not, maybe, you know, just creating awareness, educating, improving media literacy, and um, just, you know, um, especially for younger, I think it should, this kind of education should start in school already. I think the school system needs to, you know, um, teach teach kids because I we hold a lot of workshops for like younger people. Um, it's it's just important that just having the awareness that not everything you know that you read might be true, or that you have resources to verify on your own and go out and you know check for yourself that there's these resources, there's these tools that you can use and you should use if you're unsure of something. So. Um, it's just a wild west and I don't think it's going to change much, uh, anytime soon. And like I said, because I'm not a fan of censorship and of, you know, creating very strict policies, which would probably be the organic route to go and say, you know, we need to have the right policies in place. So we, we just, um, um, yeah, create laws to, I don't know, overrule it or forbid it or just ban it overall or something is not the way to go. So we'll just have to remain creative. And, you know, like what we try with Facts for Friends is just how do we reach people? How do we create awareness and, you know, just educate. 
Yeah, you you took it exactly in the direction that I wanted to ask, which is that, um, you know, if we deploy systems that would use blockchain cryptographic signatures and sort of these paths um, of um, of provenance for content, uh, does it come from actually these sources or was it sort of fake? Um, they do create also an avenue for censorship, obviously, and um, you you mentioned that censorship is something that you're fundamentally opposed to. So it seems almost impossible to solve uh, when you want censorship resistance, but also strong identity, I suppose. Um, we've seen Sam Altman, actually the inventor of OpenAI or founder, uh, to launch a system called WorldCoin, which um, introduces biometric identity for every citizen on earth um a lot of people take issue with this idea to scan their retina and uh, into some special device and then upload it into the i guess sam altman cloud i don't know exactly how it works in the back end it's supposedly decentralized but what does that even mean in these contexts um we've seen the eu actually issue or work on new policies for strong digital identity in europe um, they want to introduce an EU wallet um, for every citizen by 2030. So it seems almost like we're already on this path to create strong ident digital identities for everybody. And then I guess the policies will follow. Um, if you had to choose one world or the other, the world of chaos, um, uh, how it is sort of supposedly right now, um, or the world of strong identities, but then maybe this ability to really fact check. Uh, which one do you prefer? What's what sort of what do you think is is the better compromise to make on on potential censorship or on potential just disinformation, but maybe more freedom? What's your what what what's your bias? Uh, my bias is definitely more freedom. <laughs> so. Um... Yeah, with the world coin, that to me is just wild that people actually signed up for it. I don't know how from how many people they got the data because, you know, it's like bio bio data. I don't know that. And then you get like a certain amount of world coin or something for it. So that that's just sketchy all around to me. But um, I would always choose freedom because I think there's actually, you know, speaking of digital identities, there's an actual ongoing and very real and i will say it threat because i think it's to me it's it feels like a threat that governments um you know issue digital identities and um use blockchain technology for that and uh, uh, in order to have everything on the blockchain that you know um about a person so maybe like from your driver's license to id number to vaccination status to um the launch of cbdc's which is like um as a bitcoiner is just like the the most dramatic um you know thought that there's actually governments playing around with digital currencies the digital euro digital anything um in order to use that technology but then issue it from a centralized entity just such as a government so i think that's a perfect use case for where not everything should you know be a web3 or a blockchain use case i think 
there's the, the only the only uh, benefit of a CBDC, for example, to me would be control and surveillance. So I would always choose the chaotic, the um, uh, uncensored, but, you know, education, um, un uncensored reality with a lot of education where cash um, is still allowed because that's also what they're trying to I think it's above a thousand euros or something now is it's you're actually being involved in illegal activities if you have transactions over 1000 euros in cash which is just insane it's to me it's all just a matter of getting as much data and information as, as possible about people to um, execute control and um, to yeah minimize the individual I think that's what it's really about. I think it's also some of the zeitgeist right now is that, you know, group needs are being put over individual needs and freedoms, which I, I don't think is a good development. So, um, yeah, I'm for freedom and chaos all the way. I love this answer. And um, it brings me on to my sort of next, next topic that I want to inquire about which um, is exactly what you just mentioned. Um, you, you, you are in favor of a strong sort of free and autonomous individual. That's sort of the, the, the bias and, and set of preferences that you bring to the world and how you look at the world and I suppose how you see yourself interacting with this world. And um, looking at your biography um i also checked out your linkedin uh prior um i could just see that you have founder of x founder of y founder of z so you have this long history of sort of taking responsibility for yourself and creating new things in this world um throughout your life which i find extremely impressive and maybe you can share a little bit with us um what you know has brought you onto this path? Where do you take this autonomy and courage from to be so responsible for yourself and not, you know, be like, well, just looking for a job, just looking for an employer that's going to pay my, my salaries and so on. How, how many people do it? Because I feel they're probably afraid to do what, what you're doing. Why are you not afraid? What, where do you take all of this courage and energy from? Energy is a good point. <laughs> um, courage. Yeah, it's come natural to me. I, I I don't know, the first startup I founded right out of school. I think I was 18 or 19. Um, to me, I just had a conversation with a really good friend of mine the other day. We were talking about how can you maximize freedom and what his statement was that in order to maximize my freedom, I have to take ultimate responsibility for every aspect of my life. And thinking about it, it sounds a bit paradox, but I think there's there's a lot of truth in that. So to me, you know, being free is really the ultimate goal. So, you know, as long as nobody tell, can tell me where to be or, you know, what to do at certain amount of at any time of day um, is a very strong need that I have. And I, speaking with a lot of friends, of course, also, you know, that are in employed jobs and, you know, just are happy but work for somebody else or another company for example is um to me that's the the riskiest thing ever because to me there there's just like there's the ceiling you know you don't hold equity in it 
Uh, you always sell out your time, which isn't inherently bad, but I don't know. Um, in order for, for me to be financially free and just mentally free as well, um, I try to take as, yeah, as much responsibility as I possibly can. And for me putting, you know, renting out my time and working for somebody else, that just feels like a huge risk on very many different levels. Um, I know that I'm wired a bit differently in that sense, I would say, um, uh, you know, um, compared to, to a lot of other people. But um, for me, that just the idea of creating new things that might help people and add value to this world is just the most exciting thing that there is. So, you know, starting out new things and, you know, creating products or services that haven't been there before is just to me just gets me going. It's it's really, really exciting. Um, and being able to be, yeah, like a creator and not just, you know, a consumer, um, I find very thrilling. So I've I've been like that. I don't I don't come from like an entrepreneurial family. It's very unlikely if if you know, looking at, you know, where I come from, but it's just it's just been with me and I I think I will die on this hill. I will always create new stuff and you know come up with new things just with with the aim of myself being free and my, myself taking responsibility for everything in my life but also for taking responsibility for things that I need I see that might need fixing or you know where an idea could actually add value and help people and improve lives that's just so cool this is such a interesting and, and valuable answer thank you for, for this um you said you're probably wired a bit differently than than most people um to me this almost contradicts what you want to achieve though which is that you want pe all the people to take this responsibility for themselves so do you think it's an internal wiring? It's like your genetics or something like this that, you know, make you be this person? Or do you think it's feasible that a majority of people or all the people at some point in the future can become this highly autonomous, self-responsible, self-directed individual in the world? Um, is that something you even care about? Um, you know, what is your utopia in a sense and what is your pragmatic vision of, of a future that isn't censored and centralized and so on, but where maybe not everybody is wired like you? How, how does this work together in your mind? I put a lot of effort into working. No, I don't want to go into metaphysics, but, you know, working with your subconscious mind. Please do. <laughs> I'm fully in, into, you know, self-hypnosis and all those things, because I think a lot of people um, knowingly or unknowingly are maybe like in a mentality of I am the victim of my surroundings or why does this always happen to me? And it's so unfair, you know, that person always, I don't know, is lucky or how, how did they do it? And, you know, why can't I do this or something? that circles back to actually being responsible for every aspect of your life. Because I really do believe that you're the director, you're the script writer and you're the actor of your own life. So um, the limits we set, you know, 
we foolishly believe that the limits we set ourselves are the actual limitations. And so a lot of mental work and, you know, getting rid of some barriers, some limiting beliefs, um, tapping into that subconscious. I can encourage everyone to, to get into that because, um, I think there's a lot of subconscious, um, beliefs that limit a lot of people and respectively, they are unhappy with maybe some realities that they live in and in, you know, getting rid of those and assuming as much responsibility as possible with that, I think just becomes, comes the courage and comes, you know, the belief in yourself that you're able to do whatever you set your mind to. So yeah, that's, that's more on the like self-improvement side. Um, but be, beyond that, uh, in, in regards to, you know, assuming responsibility, Bitcoin is the perfect example because Bitcoin you can't call like Bitcoin central and be like, shit, I lost my seed phrases or, you know, where did my, where did my Bitcoin go? Um, it's peak uh, responsibility in the financial sense, because, um, you have to, you know, store them via on an exchange, which please don't, or, you know, a cold, cold storage. And then you are completely responsible for your keys. And that's just one aspect. And, you know, the, finance is such a big aspect if you think about it you're just like oh yeah i don't need to know about this or something but it, it nowadays it it's just in everything it involves everything so um with that is just like taking responsibility in the financial sense you know having a long time frame and then also assuming responsibility for your other realities which if you can just get rid of you know some blockages in your subconscious that really helps trust me I love your your point of view on this, and um, it resonates a lot with me. Um, I've been a founder of things even before I left school. I founded my first internet startup, I think, at fourteen or something like this, and with like a web design agency with uh, with a few friends. And um, um, actually, I was still studying law, but I was sort of running a co working space in Munich where I was studying and. Uh, the people I was running this co-working space with, they were all, they were a few years older than me. They had graduated from university and they were like designers and they were all freelance. And to me, it was the most natural thing to, to just work, you know, as a, as a, yeah, uh, co contractor, uh, sort of the sort of gig economy type, um, it's sort of what I've seen as the most natural path. And it was immediately after leaving university. It's, it's what I did. I've never applied for a job in my life. And so I, I, I it resonates a lot with me what you say. But then I would say a critic would say, well, you guys are pretty damn privileged. Um, isn't that, you know, aren't you speaking from a, a position of privilege actually? And I can say for, for myself, yeah, I, I was certainly privileged. Um, I knew um, I had a family in the background. I had supportive parents. Um, they had surplus cash. Um, there wasn't, you know, a shortage of money and so on. And so for me, it was like, yeah, I can, you know, I'm trying this out. And um, if it doesn't work, I can, you know, always call my parents and be like, hey, I fucked up. Um, I don't know about your family history at all, but um, I, it feels like it's 
it's also a sort of a, a privileged position um, if you're taking this path. Um, would you agree or do you, would you say, well, actually, no, um, it's, it's more fundamental than this? Uh, definitely both, I would say. So I 100% have a supportive family as well. You know, they're just like, oh, whatever, you know, we're here. You can't fall, you know, further than where we are. And um, so I do definitely see the privilege. I mean, just living in Germany as well, you know, you get opportunities and everything. At the same time, I do think it's a bit more complicated than that because there's also people in our position that are, you know, privileged in that sense. They don't do that kind of thing. They don't have that mentality. They don't have the mindset. And then there's, you know, there's a bunch of examples, hundreds of examples. Like I just listened to um, uh, an audiobook. I don't know if you know Naval. He's the founder of, I think, Angelist or something. He, he you know, one of the you know, most insane, most impressive dudes in, in the VC world and just, you know, one successful company after another and just angel investor. He's just impressive. And um, he he grew up impoverished, you know, just being raised by a single mother. So um, just as an example, I think, yes, there's definitely the realities of where you are, um, what kind of support system you have, how financially stable you are. Um, on the other hand, I come back to the mindset. So I think impossible. I truly believe impossible is really, really nothing. Like if you can think it in your mind, you can hold it in your hand. So it, it's probably about, you know, for people that are in less privileged locations or just environments or setups, it's just would be a very different path and probably a lot more struggle along the way, you know, which I don't want to, uh, reduce or or mitigate in any way but i i believe it's all possible po possible it's all you know just a question of mindset and what do you actually truly believe you can achieve for yourself and then that can be your reality so yes we're we're very fortunate and i see that and um still you know i have my struggles and it's still a lot of hard work um either way uh but then again, there's maybe even people with, you know, even that are in more privileged situations that don't go out and are like, I want to build stuff, you know, I want to improve the world however I can, but, you know, settle in one way or another. So there's no one fits all kind of answer, I think. But um, I definitely do feel privileged at the end of the day. Yes. Just I can have a bank account. Yeah. <laughs> 1.7 billion adults yeah. can't. So, it's true. you know, now, that alone um, is insane. To go full circle, um, you're now embarking on a new venture, actually. So you're becoming uh, a founder again. Um, and it's probably, you know, attached with a lot of insecurities again, a lot of unknowns. And um, take us on this journey. What What is your plan? What are you doing? And maybe share along the way, you know, what are your struggles, but also how do you intend to to solve them? And um, I'm sure a bunch of listeners will be inspired by, I mean, your personality, your character, but also maybe learning from how you actually solve solve the problems that you encounter and how you make the things you think in your head ultimately hold them in your hand. 
a lot of hypnosis. But also, um, yeah, so I am launching a new venture, which is called Orange Society, Orange for Bitcoin. It's very obvious, <laughs> at least to Bitcoiners, uh, which, you know, um, is an agency for um, it, where it's like a, it's Orange Society is supposed to be like a boutique branding, marketing, communications agency for Bitcoin related businesses and sectors. So um, Bitcoin has long been misrepresented and has, you know, like misunderstood and it has an image problem, especially in the media and the general public. And I kind of want to come in and change that by trying to bring in new narratives, new perspectives, and also design approaches to the industry. So um, with, you know, that I look at that as my contribution to the industry. So I have a background in a bit of branding and marketing, and I feel like I have two alter egos. So I have like the crypto Bitcoin Katerina and then, you know, the professional Katerina that's like co-founded these companies. But I've been in the Bitcoin space for it's it's been 10 years now. So for a really long time. And um, I finally see now an opportunity where I want to bring, you know, my passion and interest, which is Bitcoin merge that with just my professional, um, my professional, uh, work. Um, and so, yeah, I want to build the industry, uh, build the agency. Um, I look at, you know, a lot of crypto and web three projects that are able to create, you know, more virality. They're able to bring it more into the mainstream that Bitcoin is able to, or that Bitcoin related companies and businesses are able to. So I just um, see a lot of potential in, I, I, I really say like rebranding Bitcoin and making Bitcoin more en vogue in order to reach new people, new users, new audiences. Because to me, it's the question of um, how do we now get into the next um, tier of adoption? How do we now get more into the mainstream? And to me, that is actually by going through, you know, communication, branding, marketing. Yeah, like I said, rebranding it, making it more vogue. We have to think about new approaches, uh, how we can make it more attractive to people. There's a lot, there's so many educational resources out there. I don't think that's really the issue because like, I don't know how Visa works, but I use it just because it's very easy to use. So I think we, we can maybe shift some narratives and some perspectives and just really help Bitcoin related companies and individuals and, you know, initiatives to position themselves and yeah, ultimately move to mass awareness brand awareness mass adoption and yeah so i'm i'm starting out right now um it's it's the most exciting times i think um when you're just like you pretty much have a blank canvas and but you have this vision and this idea and then it's just like okay here's where i want to go how do i get there and uh, there's no playbook i mean i think ai will you know disrupt a lot of things so right now i'm just working on incorporating as much as possible, because I don't think it's going to just get rid of as many jobs as maybe people are, are saying, but I think people will take your jobs that learn how to leverage maybe AI a lot sooner. Um, so 
that's what I'm trying to do. And yeah, it's it's very exciting. We're preparing for the Bitcoin conference in Miami, um, which is in May. It's like the for Bitcoiners, it's like one of the bigger events. So we're hoping to to launch then and um, meet a lot of cool people and just, yeah, bring like a fresh breeze into into the industry. Really interesting. And um, I have so many questions about it. But first, I want to respond by saying I can feel the energy and I can feel like it resonates with me because um, on the one hand, Bitcoin is one of the most successful memes you know, ever created. Um, it has, I think, millions, maybe billions of people have probably heard of Bitcoin, uh, way more than, uh, you know, Ethereum, which is sort of the second biggest uh, ecosystem. And, and then I think, you know, there are it's a long, long space until the next maybe uh, project comes that, that uh, in terms of number of people that have heard of it. So I think Bitcoin is, uh, on the one hand, very successful, but then I would also agree with you it has a massive image problem, um, not least because of, I think, Bitcoin maximalists who have become sort of this toxic group of people. At least they have been perceived as, as very toxic um, through their social media presence and so on. But probably this is from someone inside the bubble. Not not sure outside the bubble people would even say this. They probably didn't hear of maximalism in, uh, in the first place. But um, uh, so... It does make a lot of sense to me. Um, now, from many conversations I've had with people, both on this podcast, but also generally on conferences, um, a lot of people are currently thinking about how to bring the next billion uh, into the crypto uh, ecosystem. And uh, consensus seems to be um, that, well, we need easier tooling. So we need, you know, to figure out how to do wallets differently. And then, you know, people are thinking about social recovery and all kinds of schemes to sort of make the wallet not a wallet anymore. Now, I have the feeling this is actually not where you want to take it. Um, uh, my feeling is that you're quite happy with, you know, a simple seed phrase um that that you put somewhere what you want to do is you want to brand this in a way that having a seed phrase is sexy you know or like is desirable is cool uh, or something like this how how do you know do you look at this this adoption problem is it more of the branding and making it look desirable or is it about fundamental technological change um to you know whatever make the onboarding different uh, truthfully, I think it's both. So I don't think, I think utility and usability and, you know, UX UI is so important because nowadays everything is so optimized on the internet that like, even if you wait for a web page to load for more than three seconds, you're very likely to just be like, ah, never mind, you know? So everything um, needs to be as easy as possible. So I I do believe that we um, very fundamentally should still look at how do we make things as easy and simply and usable as as we possibly can while not, you know, removing the underlying technologies and underlying, um, you know, essential 
um, systems that are in place as for example, you know, holding your private keys, which will probably remain that way. You know, you won't, you won't change that much fundamentally, but you have to make that as easy as possible. So I am, I'm very hopeful that also in the Bitcoin industry, we're still, you know, working on making things much easier to use, you know, with the Lightning Network. Um, I think there's so much potential in it. Um, and we just have to make that as easy. But then comes in, we have to let people know about this. And we have to, you know, let the mainstream be aware that even if we don't look at the fundamentals of why, you know, Bitcoin is superior to ethereum or other coins or even fiat to the u.s dollar but maybe it's about look with lightning you can pay with much less fees or you know uh, it's much quicker it's much more convenient than even using your credit card or something so um without you know going into the depths of the technology and you know the system underlying it because i think that is it's a nice thought that actually everyone will put that much, uh, you know, uh, time and effort into understanding people are not financially illiterate. Like that's just the reality of things. So I think in order to, like you said, get the next, was it, what was it? A hundred million or something? Billion, billion, of course. Billion. Next billion. Let's, <laughs> let's work with that <laughs> to get the next billion, um, into, uh, to onboard them. We have to, pick them up where they're at and I think or my approach uh, would be through unusual collaborations through unprecedented designs that we haven't seen in this you know very tech bro heavy industry um, innovative marketing approaches maybe even you know looking towards what's already working in lifestyle areas and you know fashion areas to kind of get that technology to the people in a way that they understand and in the way that they want to use it maybe for different reasons but at the end of the day you know the results are the same so um i i think it's both is very important i'm going to focus on more the branding and, and communication side of things but um please developers and bitcoin core team and everyone and everyone that's building like on on layer twos and make it as easy as possible because it just, you know, um, get us the use cases and um, we'll, we'll market and brand them so that actually we create so much brand awareness that we get the next hundred million billion. Why do I reduce it? <laughs> I don't know. You seem to be less optimistic. <laughs> <We're subconscious. laughs> no, bigger, bigger, bigger. <laughs> also Katarina. Um, before we close this off, um, what are your um maybe you know top tips um to aspiring founders inside or maybe even outside of bitcoin um to you know achieve their personal dream and 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 reach their success you you've obviously done this many times now you've been vastly successful with some ventures um is there anything you can share or is this fundamentally impossible uh what what would you give and maybe in particular even women um since obviously you bring that in addition to all your success also to the table you, you're doing this all as a i would say minority in in the tech sector 
Um, what what can you share? Yeah, I think two two aspects of it. So first of all, um, purchase the book The Genie Within. It's about reprogramming your. It's by Harry Carpenter. It's the best book I've read. I've read it I think three times now, and um, that's just like the self improvement work of how to rewire your brain into actually taking responsibility and making the impossible possible. But that's, again, I'm moving into the metaphysics side of things. But other than that, I think talk to people like, for example, for for crypto, like Twitter is so valuable. There's some Twitter threads that, you know, you don't even have to go to university to study anymore. Um, There's so many great resources I really like. And that's, you know, what Common Ground is also doing. Um, there's so many communities out there. Join different discords or Slack channels. Look for whatever it is you want to build in which field or area. Um, and there will probably be a community for that, which, you know, I have only positive experiences from really all, even like in the journalism fact checking industry, through and through positive um, experiences, as well as in Bitcoin. You know, there's these groups, there are these people that are interested that contribute in their free time or just would like to exchange with like-minded people also for founders it's the same thing for female founders there's groups um grace is really great in berlin i i can highly recommend to kind of surround yourself with people that maybe are very like-minded but also maybe have done what you plan on doing i think that's really interesting i really think it's interesting to look at personalities or startups that have done similar things to what you're trying to do and then look at where they're coming from, maybe do some backward engineering um, because most likely someone out there will have done something very similar and you don't have to reinvent the wheel every time. You know, there's certain playbooks that maybe will help you also in, in your approach. So yeah, looking for help. I, I do write on LinkedIn, you know, I just write people up. They're all so, you know, happy to help people really want to help each other at the end of the day. So I think taking away that fear and just starting out conversations surrounding yourself with like-minded people really helps to also keep the motivation high. Because if you start out on something, you know, and you sometimes don't see the light, it's, you know, that's really where if you then keep going, that's where the good stuff happens. So, um, yeah, just get out there and, and be bold because we're on a floating rock in space and it's quite cool that we're alive. So there's not, not much to lose in that sense. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, Darina, this has been extremely inspiring um, and informative and educational and just so good in so many ways. Thank you so much for sharing your wisdom, your experience and your perspective on this on this world, on this crazy floating rock in space uh, with us. Um, been super valuable. And I definitely want to have you on this podcast again, uh, maybe in a year after you've been on your journey with your uh, design and marketing agency in the Bitcoin space for a while to sort of check in and see yeah. what you've learned, uh, what worked, what didn't work, right? And um, yeah, good luck on your journey. Um, very happy to have had you here. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Florian. And also thank you for everything that you put in to make the EU an attractive location and for all that you did for 
you're like the OG in, you know, crypto and in Europe. So thank you for just <laughs> sticking with it and, you know, doing really your big part in helping this industry. It's I see it and it's a lot appreciated. I have a bunch of friends that know your name that are like, oh my God, you know, the blockchain lawyer. So um, <laughs> thank you, actually, because <laughs> you've been at it for much longer. <laughs> thank you so much. Um, that That's good to hear. And yeah, I I don't know what else I would be doing. This is the most fulfilling work that I can be doing. So I feel we're both on our path and um, I'm glad our paths have crossed finally. Um, we probably could have been having these conversations years ago already, but, um, you know, happening now. It's awesome.